Welcome. I'm Sarah Hammer, Executive Director at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, and I'm so excited to open this podcast today for Wharton Cypher Accelerator and our innovation hubs at the University of Pennsylvania with the incredible Miriam Vogel, the President and CEO of Equal AI and Chair of the National AI Advisory Committee in the United States. Miriam, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. It's a privilege to join you, and thank you for the much too generous uh, introduction. Uh, it's an honor for us to have you, Miriam. Uh, so Miriam is president and CEO of Equal AI, which is a nonprofit created to reduce unconscious bias in AI and promote responsible AI governance. She also co-hosts an incredible podcast called In AI We Trust with the World Economic Forum, and as mentioned, she serves as chair to the National AI Advisory Committee, which is mandated by Congress to advise the president and the White House on AI policy. Miriam also teaches technology, law, and policy at Georgetown University Law Center, and she serves as chair of the alumni board and serves on the board of the Responsible AI Institute. Miriam also serves as a senior advisor to the Center for Democracy and Technology. Miriam has an incredible history of service in government and leadership. She's had positions in three branches of the federal government. Most recently, she served as Associate Deputy Attorney General, where she advised the Attorney General and the Deputy Attorney General on a broad range of legal and policy issues. Under the direction of Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates, Miriam led the creation and development of the implicit bias training for federal law enforcement. She also spearheaded the department's intellectual property efforts to identify and dismantle IP theft domestically and internationally, and worked with the department to manage the department's divisions, multi-billion dollar budgets, resolve high-level challenges, and represent the department in briefings for the White House, congressional, and GAO staff. Miriam has served in the White House in two administrations. She led the President's Equal Pay Task Force to promote equality in the workplace, and she also advised the White House leadership on a number of initiatives ranging from women, LGBT, economic, regulatory, and food safety policy to criminal justice matters. Prior to serving in the Obama administration, Miriam was Associate General Counsel at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and she also practiced law in Los Angeles. She's had an incredible legal career and has a number of credentials. And Miriam, we're just so honored to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Sarah. It is wonderful to talk with you again. And I'm so glad you mentioned our podcast in AI We Trust because people can log on and hear a wonderful conversation where we got to hear from you about the really important and interesting work that you're doing. Oh, thank you, Miriam. It was an honor to do that with you and Kay. And I, I'm just really pleased that we have this collaboration and the opportunity um, to learn from you and uh, to be a part of what you're doing. So um, Miriam, again, thanks for joining us. You have an incredible background and uh, so many impressive things. I just wanna start with a question of asking you how you became involved in artificial intelligence. Well, I would say it was not a straight and uh, thought out path. <laughs> uh, it was really good fortune. I mean, I think this work is a privilege. And um, 
I came into it by having practiced law in tech, uh, both in private practice uh, and as well as in-house counsel. Uh, and then in the government, I got to do uh, at the Department of Justice work on IP and cyber, which obviously was in the tech space. Um, I also, as you noted, had the privilege to do work in bias prevention and reduction in various medium. And that was at the White House and the Department of Justice. Uh, so the founders of Equal AI sought me out and said uh, you know, that they wanted that multi-stakeholder approach that I had used in government. They wanted to make sure that we had the new multi-stakeholder approach that at that point was a novel idea, but now as we know is a best practice in responsible mm -hmm. governance. Mm -hmm. And given that I had the policy and legal experience to help build frameworks and standards, uh, they, they really wanted that background and identified something I didn't know at the time, but now very much understand and believe, uh, which is that bias in artificial intelligence is really an age old issue and a new medium. Uh, and what's interesting to me is so much of how we diagnose and understand it is based on our traditional understanding of bias and risks, whether it's cyber risks or other risks that we've uh, understood as we address technology, build and deploy technology. Uh, and a lot of the solutions are really uh, similar and, and points that we've learned from traditional uh, Mass points that we've mastered as well when it comes to bias reduction, cyber pre threat prevention, and so forth. Uh, so that's my unconventional path towards uh, working on responsible AI. Mm. Well, that's that's really incredible, Miriam. It sounds like you have had the perfect background, and I'm not at all surprised that they would seek you out for such an important leadership role, um, and and really want to leverage all of your knowledge and your experience um, into Equal ALI. So I wanna talk with you about that for a few minutes um, and the really important work that Equal AI is doing. And can you tell us a little bit, Miriam, about the mission of Equal AI and help our audience understand you know, what it offers? Absolutely. So at Equal AI, we help establish trust in AI systems by ensuring that they deserve our trust. So I think the first step is, uh, why is this even necessary? Why do we need to build trust? Well, we're AI net positive. We think that AI will accelerate our economies and our economy and our, our democracy and, and opportunities for individuals and, and underserved communities, but only if we are very thoughtful and intentional at this pivotal juncture, and we ensure that the AI that we're building and deploying is more inclusive, more effective, uh, safer for a broader cross-section of our population. The only way to do that is to make sure that our AI is built by and for a broader cross-section. And so in order to reap the benefits of AI, we have this necessary mandate to ensure that we have broader participation and it's uh, in understanding what it is, how to use it. It doesn't mean that we need to have a, a nations of computer scientists alone and to the contrary, I think the multi-stakeholder approach is key. We need these different vantage points to understand where the opportunities are, where the where the challenges are, and and really the the more and there you know data point after data point uh, demonstrate that the more diverse the perspectives in building your AI, the better your AI will be. Whether we're talking about race, gender, age, geography. Mm -hmm. 
you know, there, you know, we have, there's so many interesting examples that illustrate each of these points that, um, you know, in our badge program, uh, we have uh, a multi-stakeholder approach by the, meaning we have um, multi-industry participants, uh, small, large companies, uh, traditional AI companies, and those who are not necessarily known as, as traditional AI companies. And within each program, it's a broad cross-section of positions. So we have chief data officers, chief AI officers, chief legal or privacy officers who work together to understand what responsible AI governance is. And I should note the badge program is part of one of the programs we offer to help understand for, and build uh, alignment on best practices and responsible AI. So one of the key pieces in understanding um, how to build trust is making sure that right now where there are all these unknowns in the world as to what responsible AI is and how to build it, mm -hmm. uh, work with three main constituencies, companies, policymakers, and lawyers to help these key three audiences align on best practices and operationalize them. Mm -hmm. uh, but enough out of me. <laughs> uh, no. I really, I love what you said, Miriam, about um, making approaching AI from the positive perspective, that AI is net positive, and then, you know, recognizing that there are things that we need to do to um, think about making AI better. And one of those things, as you um, talk about with Equal AI, is having diverse teams. But um, I, I love the fact that, as we talked about in your podcast, that AI can help make the world a better place and that we can all you know be thinking about what is it that we need to do with our multiple stakeholders and the three groups that you mentioned um, to make that happen and you mentioned um, your badge program and some of the other programs that equal ai offers miriam do you, would you be willing to just tell us a little bit more about some of the other programs and how how those programs work Absolutely. So uh, really, it's responding to needs of the community as we hear them. Mm -hmm. So the badge program I mentioned was originated by companies that we were talking to who said, okay, uncle, we believe you. You know, we understand there are <laughs> risks and harms that we will uh, need to confront before we can get to the benefits of AI. But now what do we do? Because as we just talked about, you know, there aren't clear international or even national standards. And so the badge is a seven session program with senior executives uh, where we align with AI experts on what current best practices are and how to operationalize them. We have a shorter version, specifically just for lawyers who want to get CLE credit uh, and, and okay. bias. Uh, yeah, so that one is um, really enjoy it. It's, again, that originated because we were trying to get more lawyers to help understand their role in mm -hmm. building and deploying more safe and responsible AI. And up until recently, that was actually the hardest part of my job, getting lawyers to engage on this. Um, you know, most lawyers did not go to law school for their math skills, and, and so they assume that AI is not something that they uh, can engage in and, and govern or help to uh, build standards. But, you know, we, we don't know how to build cars or planes, and we certainly are very helpful in ensuring that uh, we reduce bias mm -hmm. of liabilities and, and, and mitigate risks in, in those spaces, and AI is no different. And so it's really intended to be an introduction to lawyers to what their role is, how to issue spot and, and what questions to be asking, not to be an AI expert or to be able to build the AI, but to be able to help ensure that it's safe and, and inclusive in the way that we would want it to be. 
Yeah, that's incredible. And I'm interested in what you said, Miriam, about how it's been difficult to get lawyers to engage on this issue because um, I understand that completely. As you say, lawyers don't necessarily go to law school for their math skills. Um, but at the same time, as you know, as we've talked about, AI is really important everywhere in every sector now. And so I think what you mentioned about issue spotting is really key because lawyers need to understand AI and we're going to all have to get smart about it um, so we can help make it better and, and use it to you know, improve society in many different ways. That's Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's, it's actually kind of fun because, you know, um, people keep looking at the horizon, what's going to be on the AI legal horizon, the policy mm -hmm. horizon. Uh, that is really interesting to try and figure out, but we don't have to always look to the future. We can actually look to the laws on the books and uh, we'll soon be releasing a paper where we're going to crowdsource it because it is, you know, it's something we could work on forever and we don't wait anymore before releasing it. Um, we're, we're just doing a survey. There are so many laws in the books that mm -hmm. lawyers are working on and very familiar with that are impacted mm -hmm. by their clients' AI use and they might not realize it. Even mm -hmm. basic contract negotiation, you know, is it right. a material breach if your AI creates cyber threats through the new AI use? Who's liable? Is it... Right. Um, you know, consumer protection uh, issues, uh, obviously copyright has become um, a key concern right. and issue. So uh, we don't have to look into the future to know about some of the risks and concerns that lawyers need to be engaging with their clients on with their increase in pervasive AI use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's incredible, Miriam. I'm excited to see your paper. And um, you. some of the issues that you mentioned, um, around liability, for example, you know, those are some of the things that we discussed at the AI for Good Summit in Geneva, where you were kind enough uh, to provide remarks for that event. And it's it'll be very interesting to see how we can best tackle some of those issues, like issues around model transparency. And then, you know, as a model is used farther down the line, who's liable if something goes, you know, goes sideways. And as a financial regulation person, I can tell you those are very similar to other issues that we um, have been dealing with in financial regulation around different kinds of technologies other than AI. So um, I, I'll be really excited to see that paper and, and hopefully to chat with you about it again. Well, and, and yeah. please know it is to crowdsource. I mean, your deep expertise on the finance space would be very welcome uh, to add, both because it's an area, as you know, rife with so much potential bias and risk. It's hard to imagine mm -hmm. data sets at the scale you would need to build a useful AI model that would not have bias deeply embedded. Right, <laughs> right. As well as other risks. So really welcome your expertise on, on oh. that piece. Oh, thank you, Miriam. Yes, of course, we're happy to collaborate with you whenever we have the opportunity. And in what you mentioned about um, bias and data on the financial side, you mentioned consumer protection, for example, is certainly an issue I'm looking forward to exploring further with you. Because um, we'd love to use AI to expand the credit box, as you, as you and I have talked about, but um, that's certainly an area where bias um, and consumer protection have been really strong concerns over time. So hopefully we can work together and put our heads together, all of us, and improve uh, improve it using technology and, and using your guidances. 
Well, and, and as you said, I mean, there are so many opportunities you can create with AI. You can be more inclusive in who can have access to credit, who can, um, in the healthcare space. I mean, I think the opportunities are thrilling, you know, yeah. but we have to be very clear on what the limits are, whether it's the right. data or, you know, what we say at Equal AI is that bias and other harms can embed at each human touch point throughout the AI right. life cycle. Starting with the idea, you know, who's privileged enough to have the opportunity to use AI to solve their solution. It's a limited subset now. Obviously, in the last year, that subset has grown right. tremendously, but it's still going to be those who have access to AI uh, to deploy it and, and, and build the solution that they're looking for. Right. And then how you develop it. And then the bias that we're talking about within the data sets, in the testing, you know, how expansive mm -hmm. have you been in thinking mm -hmm. through testing, you know, whether it's um, a, a low harm, but high business harm situation with, um, you know, tech that has been marketed to boomers, uh -huh. uh, where uses were uh -huh. best intended for people thinking about safety, as opposed uh -huh. to how most boomers with uh, the, the most access to uh, uh -huh. disposable income really want to buy tech. And that's the same as, as, as uh -huh. a non-boomer for the uh -huh. most part. So, you know, so many of those products have failed, but, you know, obviously if you're talking right. about finance or the healthcare space, you know, there's been dramatic in, in advances in the way that AI can help with, for instance, mm -hmm. cancer detection. Uh, we mm -hmm. saw a headline today um, that AI has improved cancer, of the breast cancer detection rate by 20%, but uh. it is so important to ask for whom. Uh, right. Who success rate for uh, right. you know, dermatological cancers. We've seen similar increased in, uh, assessments on, on how AI can improve uh, early detection, which is you know, really a mm -hmm. dramatic consequential development. But you have to be very clear who was that success mm -hmm. rate, uh, it, mm -hmm. who is over and over uh, emphasized, who, who, where, where are the demographics within those data sets, mm -hmm. within testing, so that we don't have the worst mm -hmm. case of of a, of a doctor or nurse giving a false negative to a patient because they didn't understand that they were right. underrepresented data sets or in the testing. Right. That's incredible, Miriam. And I'm excited to hear about the advances in healthcare. Um, but I really appreciate what you say about asking for who, for whom, and what are the assumptions that we have going into using AI? What are the assumptions under the data set? What are the assumptions before we even begin? Because I think that question you pose, um, who's privileged enough to ask the question in the first place is really important. And, and I appreciate the fact that, that you're um, leading on that issue, helping us all um, approach it from the right perspective. So I want to talk a little bit more about what you said about data and bias. And, you know, obviously this is a key issue with AI and there's constant discussions around data sets. Um, how do we deal with data sets? How do we clean data sets? How do we protect privacy, for example? Um, these are some of the really um, cutting edge issues around AI. And um, there are a lot of people thinking about them. Um, but I also want to ask you in conjunction with that about the equal AI algorithmic impact assessment. Um, and it's just really an incredible assessment that you have provided. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Tell us about um, testing for bias and how the algorithmic impact assessment works. 
Absolutely. So um, the the impact assessment tool, again, came from uh, people asking for certain solutions, and, and to us, that seemed like the right one. The question that people were solving for was what we call good AI hygiene. You need to establish the framework for your organization, and it's not just companies, and it's not just large companies. It's a company using AI in a pivotal function. You need to, you know, again, with, with good AI hygiene, as, as we like to call it at Equal AI, establish your framework, establish the accountability, who in C-suite is accountable for these uh, considerations at the end of the day for the costs that will be involved, as well as the, the, the consequential decisions as they come up, establishing the team, making sure you have your process in place that is clarified enterprise-wide, uh, making sure that you have documentation and clarity on what's being documented and when, and then finally, audit, audit, audit. AI will iterate, and so you have to continually test. So on the first point, people were stumped and said, okay, well, I need a framework. Where do I start? And we're very lucky, as you know, that I think it was January 26th of this year, NIST released a tremendous benefit uh, that pushed us years ahead with, with having an alignment on what is a best case scenario. What are the standards? It's a voluntary risk management Mark that they released at the, it was a congressional mandate that they responded to. And they spent 18 months with various drafts that were publicized and shared online for public feedback. And, and they hosted several discussions. Um, and in my several decades of government service, I'm not sure I can recall a government issued document or material that was as widely respected, uh -huh. admired, utilized as, as that. I think all, most of the savvy companies that we're working with have started to use the framework for their own operations, um, but it's a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of questions to answer. It's it's complex if you're a small organization, if you're newer to this space. Uh, it it, it uh, you know is an undertaking for sure, and so we wanted to help facilitate, and so we thought about. Another best practice in, in AI risk management and governance is, as you know, impact assessment tools. And so mm -hmm. we created this algorithmic impact assessment tool based on the NIST framework so that it's packaged and ready to go. It's ready. It's right on our website on equalai.org. You can find it on our homepage. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, uh, you know, we're working with, with different companies to pilot it and, and make sure that we can, you know, we'll refine it and, and update it over time, just like the NIST framework, which is being updated. Uh, mm -hmm. But we are mm -hmm. so very fortunate that the leading experts at NIST have worked with academia, industry, civil society, and players across the globe to ensure mm -hmm. that we have this baseline of what is a best practice when you're establishing your framework. Mm -hmm. That's incredible, Miriam, and, and I really like the fact that it's publicly available, and so um, folks can look at your website for Equal AI and learn more about the work that you are doing and the work of your team and learn about the algorithmic impact assessment, um, and then hopefully further engage with you, but I, I think that's really interesting, and um, having looked at it myself, I um, am really appreciative of how thorough it is. And and uh, that I think what you said about testing and piloting is important. We're all testing and learning together. That's part of what we do at Wharton is learning together. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so I want to turn to asking you about your incredibly important position as chair of the NIAC, Miriam. Uh, you have been appointed by the president of the United States 
uh, to serve our country and the world really in this very important role on AI. And um, can you start by just telling us a little bit about that, um, about your role and about the work of the NIAC? Absolutely. So I, I really have been privileged to work with NIAC, again, a congressionally mandated committee. Uh, we were uh, created through the NDAA, the same NDAA uh, that created the mandate for NIST to produce their uh, very impressive risk management framework. Uh, so we are traveling in very good company that sits a bit too high of a bar, but uh, very happy to be learning from them as we go. Uh, and so we are tasked with the uh, mandate of advising the president and the White House on AI policy. So uh, we just finished our first year. For our first year, um, we are 26. We started out 27. We lost someone to the administration in our first year. And so uh, in order to uh, you know, put everyone's thoughts and, and energy and, and uh, experience to best use, we divided it into working groups. And for our first years, we year we divided into working groups based on specific issues that were mandated in the statute for us uh -huh. to advise on. So the statute is both broad and narrow. Um, on the one hand, it talks about AI policy and trustworthy AI with a broad brush. On the other hand, they did mention five specific areas that we focused on in year one, and that is leadership and trustworthy artificial intelligence, leadership and research and development supporting the U.S. workforce and providing opportunity, U.S. leadership and competitiveness, and the fifth is international cooperation. Uh, we also had a subcommittee that was mandated by statute to be stood up, which we uh, announced on our first day in uh, compliance with our statutory mandate, and that's a law enforcement subcommittee. Uh, they are now uh, underway, and uh, there's a really thoughtful group of experts who are leading the work in that subcommittee, which is uh, related, but they're not uh, they're not NIAC members necessarily. They're, they're the NIAC subcommittee. So mm -hmm. very much related, but um, a, a little bit unique and different than the rest of the working groups. Mm -hmm. um, so we completed a report that was, you know, per mandate uh, delivered to the Secretary of Commerce to deliver to the White House. You can find it online. It's on... Um, AI.gov backslash NIAC under our reports. Um, and then for year two, we decided to reconfigure ourselves to respond to the very changing, very rapidly changing climate. And so for year two, we have different working groups for the most part. There's hmm. one or two that are the same. But for instance, with trustworthy AI, we really aligned from day one that trustworthy AI was something that would be a part of all of our work necessarily, that mm -hmm. when we were talking about AI, it was going to be AI that was safe, inclusive, effective, and, and what we mm -hmm. think of as trustworthy. So that's a through line in all of our work. Um, but this year we're focusing on things like AI futures, sustaining mm -hmm. innovation, and next generation AI, what's ahead that we can prepare for now. Uh, we're continuing our AI in the work and workforce. We're continuing our international arena uh, work. Uh, we have new areas though as well. For instance, where we have generative AI and next gen AI focusing on safety and assurance. Mm -hmm. um, we're also trying to be more nimble in the deliverables this year so that we don't have to wait till next April for a report because given mm -hmm. uh, the landscape, we know that if right. we want to have act and be useful in, in compliance with our mandate, we need to be more uh, responsive. So one thing that we've started doing this year, which is 
just been a, a passion project and, and, and something I'm so delighted we are doing and um, have learned a lot from is having more stakeholder sessions. And so we're using the benefit of our open public sessions to invite others to, to, to speak to the public. Um, so we had starting in June, a series of discussions with various civil rights groups and, and human rights groups, and, and just asking them, you know, what do you want to see from NIAC? What can you, mm -hmm. you um, share with us based on what you're doing within the communities you're supporting? What are the concerns and challenges mm -hmm. that you're uh, most focused on? What are the opportunities that you're most mm -hmm. excited about? And so we had four sessions. Uh, we will have a few others tomorrow, um, as early as tomorrow. Oh. And that'll, yeah, they'll be, uh, we, mostly it's been hosted through our working groups. The the ones I just mm -hmm. mentioned, hosted by the committee writ large, but tomorrow our AI futures working group will be asking uh, some experts to brief us in, in a public session, which will also be posted online um, on what their perception of the AI future looks like. You know, for instance, Stuart Russell uh, will be advising us uh, and, and, and a few others. Um, the Generative AI Working Group is also hosting a discussion on what they think is one of the most seminal issues in their hmm. purview. That's open source. Uh, and so they've invited a series of experts to brief us on their point of view. We will have both of those conversations mm -hmm. from different points of view in order to do it justice. And so those will be the first of several conversations. Mm -hmm. But we have many other topics that we're going to be uh, having hosting conversations on in the coming mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really exciting, Miriam. Uh, amazing work. And we'll have to look for what's posted publicly online so that um, our community at Wharton and our audiences are uh, attuned to what you're doing at NIAC. And I really like what you said about next-gen AI as well and AI futures. Um, thinking about what things will look like even a year from now seems like a sprint because things are moving so quickly in AI. But thinking about what they'll look like two to three years from now and even farther out really is extraordinary work that you're doing. So looking forward to seeing uh, what your continued outcomes will be there. And, and thank you for your service to the country. It's really fantastic. Well, you're very generous. It, it's for me just a privilege to work with these other experts who are, are giving such deep thought and intentionality to how we can fulfill our mandate, uh, how we can make sure that we take this. I, I think I'm also privileged that every single one of the members is committed to ensuring that our AI future is safe and inclusive and promotes the opportunities that AI has the, uh, the promise of if, if we do it properly. And, and so uh, really, I, it's just the beneficiary of working with some very thoughtful experts. Well, that's fantastic. And we feel fortunate to have you in that leadership role, Miriam. Unfortunately, I think we're out of time, but it's really just been wonderful to speak with you today. And thank you for sharing your work with us, your background, your work at Equal AI, um, and your work as chair of the NIAC. And I uh, selfishly am looking forward to continuing to work with you and collaborate with you and um, learn more about the resources that you have available at Equal AI. I know our audiences will be really excited um, to learn more about that and become part of it. So thanks for being with us today, Miriam. We really appreciate it. 
Thank you so much, Sarah. I am really looking forward to our continued collaboration and celebrating the important work you're doing. We also have a white paper coming up very soon on responsible AI governance. We'll very much look forward to your thoughts and, and for your partners to give us feedback on how else we could be adding value. So thank you so much for inviting us today and for the continued collaborations going forward. Wonderful. Thank you, Miriam. And thank you to our audience for joining us today. We're looking forward uh, to tuning in uh, further with Miriam Vogel and, and continuing to learn about the work of Equal AI and the NIAC.